Welcome to the Behind the Bliss podcast, where Rachel Autry brings weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey friends, it's Rachel, and I'm popping in before today's episode to tell you about something that has been keeping all of my ducks in a row. If you are a freelance creative, wedding planner, photographer, or someone that has to keep up with clients, invoicing, and contracts, I have something for you. Chances are not all of us have a contract or an invoicing system or somewhere to start, but no fear and don't sweat it because I have something for you. It's called HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online system that keeps your inquiries, past and present clients, all organized. It offers contract templates, online brochures, an invoicing system that can set up payment plans for your clients, and much, much more. It has totally changed the game for me over at rachelautry.com. But if you're craving something similar, I'd love to make your life easier and offer you a huge discount on becoming a HoneyBook member. I paid full price, but I have a 50% off coupon for you, and it comes with a seven-day free trial. Just a little perk for joining us here at Behind the Bliss. So check out the link in today's show notes for the coupon code and a little trial to see if HoneyBook works well for you. Thanks to HoneyBook, I have efficiency, productivity, and organization to my business. All right, here's today's show. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bliss. Wherever you are today, whether it's traveling to a Thanksgiving meal with family, either out of state or locally, I hope that you are keeping warm, finding tons of reasons to be grateful, and that you hug your loved ones tight. I am so thrilled to bring you today's conversation with Heather Avis. In today's episode, we have a conversation about including others that might look different than us. Yep, that's right. We crack lots of stereotypical norms and molds that culture and society have put on people, specifically those that look different or have a disability. Heather talks through the strategy that Jesus used when he was on earth, specifically when it came to people that acted differently, looked differently, and spoke differently than him, and maybe what we can learn from watching him break society's standards. So my question is for you before we start this episode, who have you allowed in your circle? Who have you not allowed in your circle? And why did you accept them or maybe reject them? If you're not quite sure if you're doing this whole inclusion thing right, or you're not even sure what your next step is to inclusion, then this is a great episode for you to listen to. Honestly, I think every single one of us have some type of progress we can make in the inclusion industry. So as an author, a mom of three adopted children, a narrative shifter, and an all-around rock star, we have a few things to learn from this inspiring and insightful episode with Heather Avis. Here's today's episode. Well, hey, Heather. Welcome to Behind the Bliss. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We are so stoked to have you in today's conversation. I hope I walk away leaving um, a little bit more educated as far as how I can scoot over and make some more room for people, and (laughs) I'm hoping our listeners do too. So I'm just so pumped to dive on in and talk all things book and family and life because, girl, it's, it's all moving, isn't it? Like school starting, books launching, everything at once. Tell us a little bit who Heather is. Yeah, I feel like it's always everything at once. Like my husband and I are always like, and then it will slow down. False. (laughs) And it never does. It never does. Part of that we bring on ourselves. But um, right. So I'm Heather Avis. I am a narrative shifter and an author. Um, I have a podcast. I do social media. I'm a social media influencer as well, and I'm married to Josh Avis. We've been married 17 years. Um, 
three kids. Our oldest is 11, a girl. Her name is Mason, a little girl, eight years old, truly. And our son, August, is five. You also wrote a book and it's pretty amazing. And I've been able to watch all of your fun um, promo videos and <laughs> I've been following you on social media and it seems to have come from a really um, great and precious space in your heart that has now been cultivated into your children and your family and your home. So do you mind maybe just sharing a little bit about what that looks like and your heart behind this book you wrote? Yeah, definitely. So I've written two books. My first book came out in 2017. It's called The Lucky Few and it's a memoir. So all three of my kids are adopted. Uh, my youngest and my oldest both have Down syndrome. And it was a wild adventure and story. Yeah, to get yeah. to be, our, the makeup of our family, what it is today. Um, so the first book, I talk about that. And the phrase, The Lucky Few, which is also the name of the brand, the LLC my husband and I run, is um, there are a few of us who have a loved one with Down syndrome, and those of us who do are very lucky. So it's been an unfolding from, well, we are, it's a long story for. <laughs> That's why I wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> but essentially, we couldn't have kids naturally, and we chose adoption. And then we did not want children with different abilities initially. And we, by God's grace, we were given the opportunity to adopt this little girl and um, who had Down syndrome and a congenital heart defect and a, a, at the time, we were told an incurable lung condition and wow. um, all these different issues. And then we watched her in the first two and a half years of her life, well, three years of her life just become totally healed and healthy and strong. Just this little miracle we got to raise. Amen. And yeah, and we just felt so lucky to get to be her parents. And we had a moment where we thought, oh man, I can't believe we get a kid with Down syndrome. Like there's so few of us who have a child with Down syndrome. That's the lucky few. And um, that opened up to the next adoption. And we ended up just being open to any child in the world. Our first adoption, we went with a private agency because we wanted a little more control over the kind of child that came into our home, into our family. Mm -hmm. And all that went out the window because on paper, um, Down syndrome and heart defects and a lot of a lot of who our daughter was on paper, we said no to. And she ended up being our daughter anyways, thank God. So we wised up and just said, all right, we'll take whatever child <laughs> comes our way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we got a little girl um, through the county, the local county. All three of our kids were born in California where we live. And she has no health issues, no different abilities, um, no drug exposure in utero, which is super rare. And she is African-American and Guatemalan. So her name is Truly. She came home. And then a couple of years later, we found out when our son's birth mother was seven months pregnant, we found out about him and she was choosing an adoption plan um, for a variety of reasons, but he has had a in utero diagnosis for Down syndrome and a congenital heart defect. So all these kids come into our life and, you know, this is our normal. We get a lot of questions right. like, what's your day-to-day -day like? You know, like the, every, everything sure. people think, this is crazy. And maybe it is, but I think that parenting is crazy. <laughs> um, it's a wild ride. And a lot of the way we do life is pretty similar to how anybody else is doing life. But then there yeah. are areas that are really different. So second book. Um, Scoot over, make some room. Basically, when we started just living life with kids who all three essentially within our society find themselves on the margins and noticing that, especially with our daughter, 
our oldest daughter Mason, who has Down syndrome, because she's the oldest, she's the first to like step into different into different systems like the school system, um, and try out ex- extracurricular and things like that. We just realized that as she is having Down syndrome, there's not really a lot of room for her in this world, and that there's separate places for her where maybe she can go, mm-hmm. or maybe there aren't even those um, systems are not equipped to take care of her needs and her down syndrome is seen as a deficit and not an asset and what we had learned about her and about the community of people who have different abilities is that the thing that makes them different the disability that that society sees and labels as negative is actually an asset in this wow. world and we have so much to learn from them so my second book is a manifesto almost of like hey worlds here's what i've learned raising kids who are different and who you have marginalized, or we as as the greater society, and sure. um, our lo- my I know my life is so much richer and so much better because I'm choosing to do life with people who are different than me, and I know that the world will be a better place if we just make room for those who we have been pushing out into the margins. Yes, and amen. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so a quick little backstory of my life. I don't think. Many of our listeners know about this either just because it's just never really come up in conversation over here um, on the podcast. But my little brother is on the autism spectrum. And I feel like because of just his special needs and growing up with therapy and um, a community that understands the needs that they have, I've been able to almost be around a ton of different children that Mm. have beautiful assets like you're talking about and have kind of known that to be my quote unquote normal. I hate that word. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I never... I never knew life without someone who, you know, may be a little bit different or have to operate in other ways than me. And it was a blessing because I feel like I've been able to know that culture. I've been able to know that community and kind of relate to other siblings who have had siblings that have different needs than them. And it's been a beautiful ride, but rarely, I'm now learning as an adult, rarely do you find someone who has that underlying understanding because they were sharing a family with this person Mm -hmm. as a sibling, as a parent or whatever. So I am just so excited to bring this conversation to the table because I'm realizing there aren't a lot of people that know how to consider them assets or how to scoot over and make some room for them Mm -hmm. or incorporate them into their everyday life. So I'm just pumped to go there. We're just going to go there. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. I was having a conversation actually with someone with a good friend before um, hopping on today. And she was like, are you nervous? Like, you might say something wrong. And I was like, well, isn't that the problem? Like, isn't that the issue is that we don't start the conversation, maybe even out of pride. Like, oh, I might mess up or say something wrong or offend them. And I'm like, no, give them a chance to correct you in a loving way and Mm -hmm. say, have you considered it this way or whatever? And so that's kind of what I'm hoping this conversation to be is a, let's just open it up and talk about it. And hopefully um, me, you, listeners, leave us some insight of just how to um, just consider others yeah. and serve others in the ways that we treat them and make some room. So yeah, for sure. I'm pumped. Yeah. Well, just on that note, I think that a lot of people feel that way. Like they're, ner- they're nervous to ask questions and, um, or to mess up or to say the wrong thing or to offend. And so then they, they just don't do anything. And mm-hmm. what's that word? What's that? There's like a phrase on a t-shirt these days. It's like, Oh, I don't know. Like silence is anyway. Oh, we'll find I, it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll find oh, it. My. <laughs> Basically, doing nothing um, is not helpful. It's not helping the cause. It's hurt. It's actually harming the cause. And one of the big things that I'm 
that I'm all about in our messaging is starting young. So my target audience is moms. And if you're having the conversations with your kids from day one, and it's a continued conversation throughout their childhood and into their adult years, then when they're an adult, they're not going to be faced with that. Oh, but what if I offend or what if I'm awkward or I don't know what to say because they grew up with differences being the normal. And Mm -hmm. And as kids, they were able to ask those questions that could be seemingly offensive or seem ignorant as a child because they're a child and it's innocent in the way that they are asking and they're good questions, you know? So like letting – starting from the very beginning with kids and teaching them about differences and and how to approach people and learning alongside. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Do you feel like that you were an advocate for – people and children with Down syndrome and just adoption as a whole before you started this process? Or do you feel like almost life and the Lord and his kindness led you to maybe growing heart for these areas? Uh, Yes. No, it it just happened to me. I advocacy happened to me. Um, I get, I, I get asked this question a lot actually. And it's a funny or an interesting idea and conversation to have because what I've learned and I'm still learning a lot in life. So I'm not saying that I'm right here, but where I stand as of now is advocacy um, for some to choose it. The choice of advocacy is a privileged idea. And Mm -hmm. that was the case for me for most of my life. I could choose to be an advocate or not. My life really wasn't affected much. It didn't seem by, by saying, no, I'm not an advocate for anything. I could say that I could choose that and it was fine. And then I have kids who um, need to be advocated for, and they they will be self-advocates and are in their own way as well. Mm-hmm. And it's no longer a choice. Like I no longer get to walk outside my front door into a world that embraces who we all are and and who my kids are, and that's unacceptable. So I no longer have the privilege of not choosing advocacy. Does that make sense? Yes, um, yeah. And so you think of marginalized people, right? Like you think of different racial groups or ethnic groups in the United States they don't get to choose to not advocate for themselves and for their people group. It's not a privilege right. that they have to choose not to. And it's a necessity. Yeah. And so, and encouraging people that I believe everybody can and should be advocating for others. And everybody, like the visual of it is everyone's got someone sitting behind him. And you've just got to turn around and see who's there. Who are you blocking the space for? Who needs you mm-hmm. to scoot over? Who needs you to step up and speak up? for them. And it's a privilege to get to do that. It's a privilege um, that I hope more and more people own and step into. So to answer your, to go back to your specific question though, I, um, I grew up just with a heart for the underdog and, and I don't know why. I mean, my, I grew up in a really, really great home. I'm so thankful for my parent, both my parents and I have two sisters. And I grew up knowing like, we grew up in a church environment, so there was a sense of service and loving others well. Um, that was important. But we weren't like traveling to third world nations or or like serving the homeless population or anything like that. And But I just had a heart that bled for people, for the underdog. So I think that that was a part of me always. And then um, yeah. I actually taught special education for a while before I had kids. and But even then, I didn't see myself totally as an advocate. I mean, I had to stand up for my students in certain ways, but not, I didn't recognize what I was doing, that that was advocacy. Mm -hmm. I didn't own it. Um, 
And then I have my kids and it's like, yes, I am an advocate and I'm advocating specifically for my three kids, but I'm advocating for the groups that they fall into. And I'm advocating for humanity as a whole, because what I've recognized is it may seem like this is just about a few people and making room for them to serve them better, but it's it's about all of humanity. We are better off. And when we do life with people who have different abilities and our world is broken and hurting more now than I think it's at least in my lifetime, it feels more now than it has been in my 37 years of life. Um, and so I'm going to stand up and I'm going to shout the worth of people with Down syndrome and different abilities. And I'm going to shift the narrative because I know humanity as a whole is going to be better off when we fully embrace people who are different yes. than us and learn, learn from them and learn alongside them. Yes, exactly. And don't you feel like, too, that there's a difference between awareness and advocacy? Mm. Totally different. And that's what I'm learning now is that I mean, I feel like there's so many campaigns for fill-in-the-blank awareness, mm-hmm. like breast cancer awareness, Down syndrome awareness, like autism awareness. I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a list. Yeah. But there's such a difference between awareness and advocacy, and I feel like advocacy is then taking it on as your responsibility to facilitate true inclusion mm-hmm. and be like, what is it that I can do to make a difference here rather than just to be aware that there might be different or that this might need change or whatever. So with that being an idea, how do you feel like if there was a listener that is thinking and nodding their head, like, wow, yes, I've never thought of this before. Mm -hmm. I want to be one of inclusion. What's some maybe cool ways to facilitate that in their everyday life? Definitely. So awareness is a piece of it. You know, like the awareness is the first piece, but it's not advocacy because it's like you're saying, mm-hmm. I totally agree with what you're saying. It's important. It's necessary. It's step one of like a hundred steps. So you've got to do <laughs> step two through yeah. two through 99 yeah. or whatever. Um, so yes, noticing who's around you and who's not, who's missing in your spaces. Are you living in like a little homogeneous bubble? Um, and if so, why? So I think there is that like, there's like some deep, some deep soul searching people can do. And it, and that might be yeah. too heavy. You don't have to do that. But even recognizing like, why is this? Why am I prone to these safe spaces where everyone looks like me? And that's not bad, but being aware, right? That awareness piece is really important in that, mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, and then, and then the next steps, it depends on your resources. It depends on your location. That's why it's a hard question to answer um, with like a, Here's one, two steps, one through five that will help you create a more inclusive world, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. but one thing that I say is what, who are you listening to? This is a huge piece and it's a really great next step for people who are feeling timid to step into spaces where people who are different than them or to step up as an advocate. So it's, you need to be aware and then you need to be a listener and a learner. That's a huge piece. Um, I think a lot of these issues where we're talking about people groups who are underseen and undervalued. Um, I think that a lot of times when you bring up to the majority, like this injustice is happening, there's like a knee jerk reaction that's oftentimes defensive. And so being entering a space as a listener and a learner, not as someone trying to prove your point, not as someone trying to say, Hey, but this is why I feel this way, or this is why this is this way. And I'm right. And you're wrong. 
It's like, no, that Or even like, this is the mold. Help, let me help you fit it. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. And so <laughs> yeah. who, so then I would say, like in terms of tangibles, who are you reading? Are you reading books by people of color? Are you reading books by um, people who have different abilities? Like who are, what books are you reading? Who are you following on social media? There's so social media, we all know, I think at this point in life, it can be an awesome tool and it can be an incredibly dangerous tool. But one of the things that's great about social media is it gives you proximity to people that you would never have proximity to otherwise, knowing that it is a, a small slice of what they're doing. But the amount of advocacy groups out there that are advocating for people with different abilities, for people of color, I mean, every group. There are incredible advocacy groups out there that are just throwing things on social media every day that is information and wisdom that those of us in the majority who fit nicely into the molds need to hear and need to know. So follow the accounts. If you're raising kids, what toys are they playing with? Do they have toys Mm -hmm. that represent a variety of people? Are the books that they're reading, is the hero in the book? Do they have disability? Are they a person of color? Um, Those, like the the toys, what, what colored dolls do your kids have? And those are things that you can introduce super early on to just lay that foundation of, hey, look how awesome our differences are and how much we have to learn from each other based on those differences. So good. And then if you're in a, yeah. if you're in a situation and you have like you're lucky enough to be in a situation where you do have access to communities of people who have different abilities, go there. Like be intentional and step into those spaces and create a way to develop a relationship like you would anything else, right? Like if you, I don't know, like if your kid is in high school and you want them to go to youth group, they have, you have to drive to the youth group. You have to walk through the door. Your kid has to meet people, right? There's an intentionality behind that. If you want to have a relationship with someone with a different ability, you go to the place where they might be. There's a chance that at your kid's school, if you have kids, there's a separate classroom where all the kids with different abilities are segregated into because of their differences. Go into that space Find meet the parents, find out how to build a relationship based on commonalities with people. So invite the kid out with Down syndrome out for ice cream or to the park or to the movies or, you know, however you would do it in another, in a different setting. Um, You've got to be intentional and you've got to take risks. And like your friend was saying to you before the, before you came on, like, but what if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing? Then you say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing, you know, and then you right. and then you learn. Yeah. It's an opportunity for learning and growth and you apologize and you move forward. So it's not rocket science, but I also recognize that it's it's hard. Um, and it can be intimidating. Yeah. 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 And, and then I think um, be aware of your opportunities. So if you're at the park and there's somebody there who has some kind of a significant difference, make the effort to say hello and ask your name. The power of the, hey, what's your name? Is it like, it's so easy. It's so, it's so accessible. And it's that, those few words that can begin to build a bridge into a meaningful relationship. Oh, that's so good. And I feel like that even too can go farther beyond a playground, like for adulthood. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much power in those words because it says underlying, I want to get to know you or I value you or I want to understand you. And isn't that what we all want mm-hmm. at the end of the day? Like I want to be heard and understood and known. Yeah. And so for someone to take interest in someone else who um, is significantly different than them, I think is an amazing first step or just a practical walkthrough for practicing what this would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so good. I, yeah. 
I just I think this episode is going to be great to break <laughs> some freedom on people who might be stuck in that cultural norm because I think too that they're I mean praise God I feel like this is kind of shifting because of people like you but I feel like we were raised me, we as in my age um millennials <laughs> um I think that we were raised in homes where we had great parents but we weren't really introduced to a lot of cultural differences. I think that that's something that I'm so grateful for. I'm seeing a shift in today. But just, I mean, vulnerably and transparently, I grew up with my my idea of normal. Mm-hmm. And if someone else's normal looked different than mine, then they were different mm-hmm. or they were um, compromised or they were, you know, fill in the blank of all these things that – I think I just thought naturally in my own flesh, like, oh, what, what is, what can I do to help them fit what is right? And what is right was my normal. Mm -hmm. And which is where I think that spiral of just, uh, I mean, exclusion and all these things comes from is a, I mean, you see it in classrooms or in schools right now too, of like, how can we help these children with differences fit into quote unquote, normal classrooms. And it's like, well, first off, what makes this classroom normal? (laughs) Second off, like there's so many differences inside that room that just might be heart issues or mind issues or, you know, internal issues that might just not be as displayed as others. And so I just think it's like, it's a mind shift, right? Of just Mm -hmm. figuring out like, I am not normal. (laughs) There are things about me that make me different and beautiful just as much as someone else's that might be more external. So how can I help them help me in understanding flexibility, inclusion? Mm -hmm. It's just so good. It's so good. And you said so many good things there. It's, it is such a mind shift. It's like such a posture of the heart because we have lived in this world where it's like, there's one or two, maybe five right ways to be and do something. And so everyone's striving for that. Um, and a lot of people can do that. They can fit into the spaces. And for people who don't, then they're looked at as less than. And so it's that shift of that idea that the, their differences are actually an asset. And to you, we've got to switch into that mindset. You know, I think that mm-hmm. it's even like when it's off obvious and physical, right? Like you look at somebody who has limb differences. And and then I think kids and adults, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for that person because they have this thing. And it's like, what if we shifted that and said, whoa, their experience of, of the world and what they come to the so table with, different. we have yes. so much to learn from them. They're in, like, what an mm-hmm. asset they are to my life in this community. And the thing that I say with kids with Down, Down syndrome is, Down, it's not that Down syndrome's hard. It's that the world doesn't accept it. That's what's hard. And so that's the hardest part about having kids with Down syndrome. Yes, there are things that are difficult. I mean, my daughter my daughter was three years old before she took her first step. That felt challenging. Both my kids had open heart surgery. That's obviously hard. Um, we're dealing with school stuff right now. My, do- my oldest daughter is 11 and she's not writing yet. And she's reading just a few sight words. And, you know, like I, the list can go on and on and on of if I'm comparing her to what society says an 11-year-old should be doing, then I could write a whole list of why it's super hard. But if I say, wait a second, making her like everybody else who's 11 isn't my goal, Mm -hmm. then all those things are just kind of blurry. And yes, we're going to work on things. And yes, we're going to push her to be the best version of herself. But when we see who she is as an asset, then we're going to stop striving to change her. And then we can say, oh, wait a second, 
that that's when we can actually focus on these are the areas where she, where we need to help her become her best version of herself like we do with any of our children like we do with ourselves you know and if we can yeah. say like we're no longer going to compare her to everybody else in the world who is her every other 11 year old in the world we're no longer comparing her to those people and that that's the goal no the goal is that she can be the best version of herself and that's enough she doesn't have to be more and guess what it's not going to fit into a single mold that's been created and so we're just going to start making our own molds right we're going to start blowing up molds around us and we're inviting everybody to do that with us because i think also at the end of the day all those people who supposedly fit into the mold. I think there's a lot of people feeling really lost in those spaces too. You know, like all of us, like Mm -hmm. quote, normal, neurotypical, able-bodied. I think we're pretty lonely and I think we're striving to be something else. And I think there's a sense of discontentment. And I think that we're pretty frustrated with the molds that have been laid out for us. Um, And I think we're all just, right? We're all just searching for (laughs) that connection. We want people to see us. We want people to know us and we want people to love us, period. And that's what my kids with disabilities want. They want people to see them. They want people to know them and they want people to love them as they are. It's just this human this human heart piece. Um, and having my kids in my life and being around people with differences, with different abilities, has really opened my eyes to that. Um, it's a gift. It's an absolutely beautiful gift. To be able to embrace rather than challenge or fight it, yeah. I think is yeah. beautiful. And th- it's a great picture of surrender and realizing that the gospel is for everyone. Mm. And so it doesn't mean that you have to fit into a mold to be, um, you know, for it to be available for you or for it to apply to you in your life. And something I've been hearing so often from so many areas of life is if you want to say you love God, you have to love his people too. Mm. Every one of them, whether they look different, act different, behave different, whatever. They they also are deserving of all the things that you yourself want for yourself too. Definitely. And if and if you look at, like, let's go there for a second if we can. I'm, I'm interjecting here. But um, yeah, I think that it's, I uh, I have a word for the church and I have an issue with the church and what, like the big I'm C. I'm so glad you're bringing yeah. this up. Yeah. It's like the big C church. Does that, do you feel like you know what that means yeah. and your listeners understand what that means for the most part? Um, yeah. So little C church being like your local, your specific, big C church being like kingdom wide, sure. all of the people, body of Right. Like the yeah. global church and the big C church in the United States is failing the disability community. They just are. And so it's either, well, and I, yeah, I was going to say it's either there's a separate program that's like, look at this awesome separate space we have for our special friends or people with disabilities aren't in the congregation at all. Um, I actually just this week had a mom reach out to me and say um, her son is on the autism spectrum and he, because of they were having a hard time figuring out in Sunday school how to support him the right way. And it's been like this whole ordeal. And she eventually got a phone call from the pastor that said, your child can't come to church. Like basically Mm -hmm. your child's not welcome here. What? Like Mm -hmm. if, if our, if we as human beings are going to show up anywhere as ourselves, it should be the church, right? Every time, no matter where. And so there's that piece, but there's also, if you look at Jesus and the life that Jesus lived, he walked into social settings. He walked into church settings, right? Like the religious establishments of his time. And he's just like blowing up molds and shifting narratives 
and reaching and hanging out with people who are not allowed in those spaces. And yeah, that's what Jesus did. You know, yes. like he's like, yeah. I'm going to make everything. I'm just going to blow up all your ideas of how it's supposed to be and who you're supposed to be. And he hung out with the marginalized. Those were his people. And that's where he invested his time. And, and so the, if we, uh, there's that piece. And then also if we know that all people are created in the image of God, I look at my kids with Down syndrome and I see intentionality there. And I see that God purposefully added an extra chromosome to every cell in their body. So they would have Down syndrome with pleasure and to bear God's image. And so if that's the case mm-hmm. and you're missing out, there's an entire population of people with different abilities missing from your church. There's no possible way you can begin to understand the fullness of God. There's no way. And therefore your, your idea as we're looking at each other and learning from each other as image bearers of God, your idea of who God is is skewed. Limited. Um, yeah, yeah. It's limited. It's limited. And then we're taking those ideas and we're creating entire establishments out of them and they're missing a big piece. And so it's so important for churches to be open to and create an environment where people with different abilities can have access and opportunity and can thrive with the idea of their coming into those spaces as an asset. We have to get out of this hero mindset that look at, we're so awesome and wonderful because we're so kind to people with different abilities. No, 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 no. They are so awesome and wonderful because they're entering into our spaces and it's not, you're not a hero if you create a program or create supports, put supports in place to help them have access and opportunity. That's not heroic. That's just being a a good human, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. Here's what my mind is like. This conversation is living proof that if you can learn these things from a podcast, second, third, fourth hand, then, and that you may act different or, you know, from those that look different or act different than you, imagine what your life could be like or what you could learn from these people firsthand, Yeah. you know? So get involved and show up for them and create space for them and look around and seek them out, I think is so important more than just showing up when they show up. It's a go and invite and go and include them without them having to ask or to even have to confront the fear of being there. Yeah, for so sure. I'm all about it. Yeah. Don't you feel too like you you learn from um, your sweet kids that, I mean, this is what I learned. Everyone has something to offer, right? So something I learned from people with Down syndrome in my life is joy. Oh mm. my gosh. Like laughable energy. I don't care where I am or what is going on around me. I am, I'm just going to be the happiest or the most joyful. Something I learned from my brother on the autism spectrum is he is brave. Like Mm. he says anything and everything that's on his mind, he'll be the first to tell you when his feelings are hurt and the first to tell you when you're wrong, the Mm -hmm. first to tell, I mean, I'm like, if I could only communicate as bravely Mm -hmm. as Landon and things like that. And I think that we have so much to learn from them and we have to be open to being flexible around them that we too can learn and be created into what you were saying. I mean, the fullness of Christ Mm -hmm. and, and what he is because we now have a full or more full rather grasp and understanding of who he is and what he has to offer us through these people. So yeah, I'm here for it. I am. (laughs) I love it. Amen. (laughs) Okay. You've been saying some things that I'm like, I've got to know just out of simple curiosity. You are either, I'm doing this to you. You're either a two or an eight on the Enneagram. (laughs) Okay. Two, because you said fight for the underdog. Eight, because eights just love them some social justice. You know what I mean? Like they love a good cause. So I'm like, 
What is Heather? Yeah. Are you two? This is the question that we all wonder. I'm a two, but I but my husband feels like I'm an anomaly. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and You're I one of my of <laughs> one of my really good friends uh, is super into Enneagram, and she's like, and I, she's one of my co-hosts on my podcast. She's like, I just really think you're an eight. And I'm not opposed to being an eight. I know eights get a bad rap, especially female eights. Um, but I'm not. We need y'all. I love them. them. And I'm not opposed to to that. I'm not like trying to not be that. But when I've done more research and I've read more things and, you know, talked it through and listened to podcasts, tried to do the work there, I just am not an eight. But here's the interesting thing that I don't, I don't know a lot about this. I need to look into it a little bit more. But my understanding of it is so twos go twos are helpers and eights are challengers. Twos go to eight in stress and mm-hmm. um and can go to eight in unhealth. And so the career I've chosen is just constantly pushing me to stress <laughs> or to a space right. like that, right? <laughs> like to the challenger space. Yeah. Um and there I I was listening to um an Enneagram expert talking about this and that you can be simultaneously within your your different numbers in a healthy way if you're aware of it and you're practicing it practicing health so I can function as a two and an eight at the same time um, in a healthy space if I know as an eight the unhealth and the health within that number so that's what I try to do because I, I get yeah I get asked a lot if I'm an eight but I'm I mean what I'm doing is challenging people. I'm challenging their the way that they think. I'm challenging systems. Um, yeah. So it makes sense. Okay, okay <laughs> let's go with it. If you're a two, do you feel like you found ways to nurture and love yourself? I mean, I can imagine it's pretty tricky with three kids when they all have, I mean, completely different needs at probably a lot of different moments. Yeah. How is it that you just kind of like hush life yeah. <laughs> and just love Heather? Yeah, I definitely have. And my So it's funny, my husband's a two also. Um which is pretty rare to have two, two twos team. married. I know people are like, what happens when? <laughs> let me serve you. No, no, let me serve Seriously. you. Let me serve you. Like people are like, what happens when you have two, when twos marry each other? Like we adopt all the children with special needs. I love it. Um, <laughs> um, and actually it's funny. Our first year of marriage, it was like, who can unload the dishwasher first and who will make the bed first and like serving each other that way. And I just thought that's how it was. I had no idea. Not everybody False, felt that Heather. way. <laughs> no. No, um, that is heaven on is earth. That, that is a slice of heaven. That's so. Funny. It's so funny. I remember, and I hold people twos hold people's emotions, and it's, we have a hard time knowing what our own emotions are. And that's where I, mm-hmm. that's where I'm like, my husband still questions if I'm a two, and I'm like, no, I know I am, um, because it, the room, the emotion in the room will affect me so strongly. And I thought everyone was like that, and when to find out that people can like be in a tent, like a. Let's say that it's like a hard, tense emotional space and be, so be like, yeah. that's fine and not be affected by it. I'm like, whoa, how is that possible? <laughs> I can hardly function right now unless I fix everything in the room right. and make everybody happy. That is funny <laughs> that you guys both are just – that you thought that was marriage. <laughs> it's not – I mean, not oh. mine at least. Mine's beautiful in a lot of other ways, but trust me, it has nothing to do with who can serve each other fastest. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> Um, no, well, yeah. How do you love yourself yeah. though? If all of that were to be, you know, set aside at the end of the day, what do you, what do you love to do? Like, how do you take care of yourself? Yeah. Um, I love being with people. And so that's also my husband's like, I think you're a closet seven, but again, I'd love to be a seven. I'm just not. Um, and 
caring for myself is spending time with people who know me well, that I can just totally be myself um, at eating a good meal. That's probably my favorite thing. I do love cooking by myself, like the thought of being in a kitchen by myself and prepping food and cooking makes me really, it really um, feeds my soul. So that's, yeah, that's getting alone. Um, I think it helps with my creative side too, because I'm a creative and I, so I can be creative in the kitchen. Um, Yeah. Those are things I love to do. Yeah. And you leave feeling refreshed and you're like, okay, back to business. We got this. Yeah. And then I just, I started practicing yoga almost a year ago and that's been real life changing for me. Um, Do you go to a studio? I do. I do. I go and I do hot yoga and yes, ma'am. It's intense. That I am so pro hot yoga. It's, it's so fun. good. It's it is right now everything there's a lot going on constantly. My brain is constantly moving and it's the only hour in my day where I'm like it's so hard and intense and the whole practice of yoga is breath and your breaths get you through the moves. And in order to get to the next move, I literally can only focus on my breath. And it's such a refreshing thing. Like I get to the end of the hour and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I just spent an hour focusing on my breath and using that to get me to the next move. I'm not thinking about work or my kids or school or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One more quick question. This is how we love to end our episodes. What is something that you are loving these days that you just think, oh gosh, someone else needs to know about this. It could be something you're reading, listening to, cooking, anything. Oh shoot. Okay. I might need to think about this for a minute. I mean, yoga, hot yoga is one of my things that I wish more people we're doing that. I always say to people, you're yes. doing this. It's so good. Um, so something that I do, but I don't want people in my neighborhood doing this because it would become competition, is I, I'm addicted <laughs> to yard sales. And oh. this is gives me life. Um, and my, I go with two of my best girlfriends. We go at 640 every Saturday morning. When I'm in town, let's go. It's no joke. Mm -hmm. And we have so much fun. So, that, like, I want to say to people who walk into Target and spend $10 on a basket, like, wait till Saturday. You're going to find it for 50 cents somewhere. Yes. And with a story. (laughs) Not a basket. With a story. With a story. You meet so many funny people. It is so entertaining. I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's so fun. Yard sales. I'm here for it. Wow. (laughs) This has been so incredible. And I am just so thankful for you shaking up some of the cultural norms we've got going on and shaking these molds and just introducing some new thoughts and perspectives to our listeners. I am just forever grateful. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It means a lot. Of course. If someone wanted to follow you, see your beautiful children, all the things. Where can they find you online? Um, On Instagram, we are the Lucky Few Official. And uh, my podcast is the Lucky Few Podcast. On social, it's the Lucky Few Pod, luckyfewpodcast.com. And then anything else that we do, we run events and uh, retreats. And I sometimes I'm traveling and speaking and um, blogging. All of those things are at heatheravis.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Heather. You're so sweet to share all this with us. Thanks, Rachel. 
When I was listening back through this episode, getting ready to publish it, I literally had a notepad and a pen ready to take notes because I remembered how good and meaty this conversation was. Wherever you are on this inclusion spectrum, whether whether your friend group is diverse and colored, you know and love and are friends with people that might have different abilities than you, Maybe you don't. Wherever you are on the spectrum, I just hope that you walk away with today's episode with some tools that you can use to love on people that look different than you. I also know just from reading your emails, direct messages, or keeping in touch with some of you listeners, that you're in roles of leadership, which comes with great responsibility, but also opportunity. You have an opportunity as a leader in whatever section of life that you might be leading in to shift the narrative there too. Whether it's in a nonprofit, small business, corporate office, home. We all are leaders in some area of our life and have an opportunity to carry out this message that Heather shared with us today. Let's shake it up. Let's do it different. Let's take Jesus's model and run with it. Praying for you guys, praying for this holiday season and for the boldness inside of you to rise up, rise to occasion, to learn to love people in mighty ways so we can get a full picture of who our God is. We'll see you next week.